Garden Basics with Farmer Fred is brought to you by Smart Pots, the original, lightweight, long-lasting fabric plant container. It's made in the USA. Visit smartpots.com slash Fred for more information and a special discount. That's smartpots.com slash Fred. Welcome to the Garden Basics with Farmer Fred podcast. If you're just a beginning gardener or you want good gardening information, well, you've come to the right spot. If you have a compost pile or especially a worm bin, you may have seen a scary looking critter, an inch long wasp like creature. That's the soldier fly. But are they good for your compost pile or worm bin? Some gardeners swear by them some swear at them. Today, we talk with a big proponent of soldier flies all about them, and we delve deep into some of their many benefits. Also, we answer a listener's question about how to speed up the composting process. We're podcasting from Barking Dog Studios here in the beautiful Labutalon jungle in suburban purgatory. It's the Garden Basics with Farmer Fred podcast, brought to you today by Smart Pots, and we'll do it all in under 30 minutes. Let's go. a few years ago I went out to the worm bin in the backyard and I took off the lid and all of a sudden this one inch long black wasp started buzzing and and flew away and I'm going what the heck was that (laughs) well it turns out what the heck was that was a, a soldier fly and what the heck is a soldier fly is it a good guy is it a bad guy is it the same thing as a soldier beetle? A lot of questions. We have answers from Penny Paul. She is a master gardener over in Napa County here in Northern California. And Penny, you've had adventures uh, discovering uh, soldier flies as well, haven't you? Yes, I have. When I first discovered them, I'm a worm composter from way back before I became a master gardener. And when I first discovered them, they were in one of my worm bins. And I started picking them out and a blue-bellied lizard was between my feet eating them. And that was my first introduction. So uh, then I read online that they were using them to, at one of the universities in the Carolinas, to compost cow manure in dairies. So from then on, I didn't pick them out. I kept them. And I kept some aside to see what they developed into. And it was this black wasp-looking thing that came right back to my worm bins and started laying eggs. However, I think the snakes, lizards, and toads that are living in my worm beds um, have been eating them. So last spring I bought some. They're, it's amazing what people are doing with them now. They are very high protein, and they uh, use them to feed their pet reptiles and chickens, and they even have kits for raising them. So you can raise your own <laughs> soldier fly larva. Exactly. We should point out we're talking about, uh, for food purposes, the soldier fly larva is very popular among uh, some uh, animal uh, lovers, including those who have, like you said, reptiles. And uh, how I happened to write the column was I was at an Easter dinner talking about my compost bins, and this young man told me about a place in Sonoma that gathers restaurant waste and compost it with shoulder flies and i i looked into this place and yes it does and it gathers a lot of restaurant waste and uh that's all they use for composting 
they raise the eggs and they also play uh, music for it as they <laughs> are uh, raising them. What, what, I don't know what the music oh, does, but okay. they must like it. See, now naturally, that's the question I would have right now. <laughs> I don't want people to confuse soldier flies with soldier beetles. Soldier flies look like one inch long black wasps, whereas a soldier beetle, which is a garden good guy, by the way, has a long segmented antennae and a kind of a red head with with black wings and the, right. the soldier beetle is a pollinator and they will go after aphids and other plant sucking insects too especially when they're in the larval stage right and that's why you have to practice ipm there you go integrated pest management that's right identify the pest before you do anything Right. All right. Well, let's talk uh, more about that uh, soldier fly that's in the worm bin. Is it a good guy? Is it a bad guy when it's in a worm bin? It's a great guy when it's in a worm bin. I was gone for a couple of weeks on a vacation, and when I came home, the one bin that had the soldier fly larva in it had dropped a foot. They're very slow to compost. In fact, I'm harvesting compost from one that is four years old. And I was amazed. I could not believe that it had dropped so much. And then I did some more reading. The Internet is a wonderful place to find information on strange subjects and uh, realize that they were very helpful in composting foodstuffs. And their manure is good for our gardens just like worm and sow bugs but are they competing with the worms for the available food in that bin if if there are too many of them they will compete the advice is not to to overpopulate your bin with the soldier fly larva i did read that soldier fly larva will eat something like two pounds of food a day which when you're doing a worm bin, that's quite a bit. Also, I did read that each female lays about 500 eggs. They only live a week, the fly. They do not eat during that week. They breed and lay eggs, and they drink water, and that's it. Now, I, I too, have read that uh, the soldier fly, if it's in your worm bin in the summertime, because they eat so much, they generate a lot of heat. And in the summertime, when temperatures get over 90 degrees, that might bring worm work to a near halt in a worm bin. Have you found that to be right. true? Right. But, you know, um, I had a heat wave once where I had one bin that was in the sun and uh the worms were in the middle. I was afraid they were baked. I was gone. I came home. I checked them, and the worms were in the middle, and they were fine. Another time, uh, I had a flood here, and one of my worm bins, and these are large worm bins. They're not the little bins that you get from a workshop. It started floating around. I said, oh, God, there go my worms. They were in the middle, and they were fine. Mm. So uh, they have a way of trying to survive. Well, now all of America wants to know about your worm bins. How big are they? What, what are they? Okay, I have eight. Four of them are outside the ground, and they're the Smith and Hawkins type that used to be available. And the other four are buried in the African keyhole method in the garden. 
And um, I decided to try that because the African keyhole seemed like a good experiment, and I like to experiment. I want to tell you, those bins do better than the ones above ground. The worms can go in and out. They carry uh, some of their waste with them as they move out. And this year, I planted my tomatoes and my cucumbers around one of the worm bins. They've never been this big, and they've only been in since May 30th. <laughs> I mean, they're huge. It must, I figure it must be from being um, near this active, working worm bin. And uh, I, I heartily support this. I do teach it for the county and city of Napa. And when I started teaching, I had three people, and now I have about 25. Very good. It's amazing the number of people that are doing it. Maybe what you just listened to has piqued your interest in African keyhole gardening. What is it? The African keyhole garden is particularly effective in hot, dry climates. It was developed for a very poor section of Africa. The keyhole-shaped garden allowed residents to build gardens about six feet in diameter from locally attainable supplies while making the best use of available water. The result? thriving gardens. In Friday's Beyond the Garden Basics newsletter and podcast, we continue our chat with Napa County Master Gardener and Compost Instructor Penny Paul about African keyhole gardening. It's in the next Beyond the Garden Basics newsletter coming out Friday, July 29th. Find a link to it in today's show notes or visit our website, gardenbasics.net, where you can sign up to have the free Beyond the Garden Basics newsletter delivered to your inbox each Friday. Also at GardenBasics.net, you can listen to any of our previous editions of the podcast, and you can read a transcript of the podcast episode you're listening to now. It's at GardenBasics.net. For current subscribers, look for the Beyond the Garden Basics newsletter on Friday, July 29th in your email. Take a deeper dive into gardening with the Beyond the Garden Basics newsletter, and it's free. Find the link at GardenBasics.net. Let's get back to our conversation with Napa County Master Gardener Penny Paul about worm bins, compost piles, and soldier flies. Have you found any foods that the worms just avoid? Well, I never put citrus in because that page changes the pH of the whole system and is not good for them. Otherwise, gosh, they love watermelon, they love lettuce, bananas. I put in peach pits and they clean them off. <laughs> they like a lot of fruit. Oh, and one time I had some uh, tacos in the refrigerator and I didn't like the way they looked. So I threw them in the worm bin. I have never seen such a massive eating frenzy as when they ate those tacos. And we're talking about the shells? No, these were dried tacos. Oh, okay. Now you have to explain that one. Well, like you buy in the store in a package. Okay, yeah, oh, yeah, right, okay, yes, uh, exactly. So, yes. tortillas, basically. Right, tortillas. Yeah. Oh, I'm sorry, not tacos, tortillas. They just went crazy for it. Huh, okay. I have put bread in a few times. They like that. The big thing is not to put any meat products in from meat-eating animals or uh, cheese or 
of fertilizer from meat-eating animals. So I do add chicken manure from time to time to spice it up. I raise butterflies from time to time, and I throw their papers and uh, compost into the bin, and it all goes away. Oh, and another thing I put in, it says that you can put in your linen from your dryer, but that has polyester in it. So when I comb my dogs, which are long-haired dogs, or my hair, I save it and gave it to the worms. And when I sift, I never find anything like that. Usually what I find are a few pieces of wood and labels from apples and tomatoes. Indeed. Another thing to avoid in worm bins, too, are oils that you might use. Right, right. They don't like oils. Well, getting back to the African keyhole garden, in that column you wrote, you talked about that some vegetables do not do well in this type of situation, such as tomatoes, potatoes, peppers, eggplant, corn, and squash. Actually, the only one I don't put in is um, the citrus because of the pH problem. I never have potatoes to throw in. If I have an old potato, I plant it, (laughs) you know, if it starts getting eyes. Uh, as for eggplant, I've uh, never put that in. Um, I, I have put carrots in. They always eat them. They're not real particular, but they are especially in love with watermelon and cantaloupe. Yes. I put watermelon in one time, and my God, it was gone in a day. I, one thing that might interest your uh, listeners is that eight worms, eight, and they have to be red wigglers, will produce 1,500 babies in six months. So they do breed a lot, and uh, if things are right, their babies grow. I would think, too, yeah, the, when the conditions are right, when you keep your worm bin in an area that is above 40 degrees and below 80 or 85 degrees, they're happy campers. My ones out of the ground are in the shade. They're, it's heavy shade, and so they don't heat up. Plus, my watering system waters them occasionally. The others are in the sun, and I've noticed they heat up, and when they heat up, the worms go to the bottom. Somehow we ended up talking <laughs> about this when we started talking about soldier flies, but <laughs> we, we learned a lot. Man, African Keyhole Garden, and there's something to explore. Right. I, I really like it. I spoke to one of the beginning classes of the Master Gardeners a few years ago, and the first thing I was asked was, how about putting him in the garden, in the ground? So I, this is not an original idea. Other people are thinking about it also. For years, uh, I had what I like to call euphemistically a a passive compost pile when I had the acreage and I would take all my uh, yard clippings and just pile it up out in the back 40. And then when I needed a good, a new garden area, I would just move that pile and the soil below it was just excellent for planting. Right. I do the same thing. I have let it happen compost pile. And uh, I do use things from the bottom and occasionally I'll go in and collect some wild worms. Worms have really gone up in price. God, when I started it, they were about 50 cents for 50 worms, and now 20 worms is $2. Well, it's good to know, though, that uh, if the conditions are good, uh, they will reproduce like crazy. So maybe you can get away with, if you're starting a a worm bin, to get away with just buying maybe one pound of of worms and then let them procreate. One pound is $35. 
Whoa. You can order them online. Or I went to the Sonoma Worm Farm the last time and got three pounds. Those are actively working. And then if I find any wild ones, I I throw them in my bins. And they're usually under pots and rocks, things like that. We had a very adventurous little tour with Penny Paul, Napa County Master Gardener, and we'll have links in today's show notes about African Keyhole Gardens. More, I'll have the links to Penny's articles for the Napa County Master Gardeners about the gardens and more about the soldier flies as well. Penny, we learned a lot. Thank you so much. Well, you're welcome. I enjoyed it. I'm pretty picky about who I allow to advertise on this podcast. My criteria, though, is pretty simple. It has to be a product I like, a product I use, and a product I would buy again. And you know who checks all those boxes? It's Smart Pots. Smart Pots is the oldest and still the best of all the fabric plant containers that you might find. Smart Pots are sold around the world, and they're proudly made 100% right here in the USA. Smart Pots come in a wide array of sizes and colors and can be reused year after year. Some models even have handles and that makes them a lot easier to move around the yard. Because the fabric breathes, Smart Pots are better suited than plastic pots, especially for hot climates. That breathable fabric has other benefits too. Water drainage issues? Not with Smart Pots. Roots that go round and round choking the root ball like they do in plastic pots? Doesn't happen with Smart Pots. These benefits will help you get a bigger, better plant than what you've gotten in the past with the same size plastic or other hard container. Smart Pots are available at independent garden centers as well as select Ace and True Value hardware stores nationwide. To find a store near you or to buy online, visit smartpots.com Fred. And don't forget that slash Fred part. On that page are details about how, for a limited time, you can get 10% off your SmartPot order by using the coupon code FRED, F-R-E-D. Use it at checkout from the SmartPot store. Visit SmartPots.com FRED for more information about the complete line of SmartPot's lightweight, colorful, award-winning fabric containers. And don't forget that special Farmer FRED 10% discount, SmartPots, the original award-winning fabric planter. Go to smartpots.com slash Fred. We like to answer your garden questions here on the Garden Basics Podcast. Amber writes in from Sacramento to Fred at farmerfred.com, and she says, I started composting in a black plastic tumbler, but it doesn't seem like the material is breaking down, and it looks dry. I've heard that I shouldn't have to add water, but I know that the Sacramento sun is pretty intense. Am I doing something wrong with my compost additions, or do I just need to add water? Amber, the answer is probably. Maybe. <laughs> it depends. Yes, Debbie Flower is here, uh, our favorite retired college horticultural professor who has been uh, basically promoted to America's favorite retired mm -hmm. college horticulture professor. Uh, yeah, successful compost involves... A lot of different elements. You got green, you got brown, you got wet. Yes. And you need all three. Yes, you do. The number one thing, though, is oxygen. And that's what the tumbler is for because it allows you to turn the compost easily. I assume I've never used one, frankly, but it, it takes out the shoveling aspect of it or some of the shoveling aspect of it to turn it. There was a test facility for composting in Tucson, Arizona, which is equally as hot, if not hotter than Sacramento, and 
typically less humid, except during the monsoon season. They found that the number one thing they had to do to get successful composting was not add water, but turn the, the compost. However, you're using a black plastic tumbler. There are plenty of them on the market. There are. And I used to own a um, tumbling composter as well. Do tell. And I had it in the shade. Aha. Uh-huh. And I was more worried about air not being able to get in because it only had these small vents on either end. It was sort of an hourglass-shaped tumbler. And I tell you, you can get a, a good workout just tumbling it when that thing is halfway full to get the other side up. And you had to really push hard on it to get at it. Uh, but, you know, it was exercise. It was good for you. Mm-hmm. But still, I, and the excess water would would flow out the these small little vents that were on the bottom. So I just drilled some quarter inch holes on either end just to give it some more air circulation. Mm-hmm. And the more often you turn it, the quicker it becomes finished compost. But it did take quite a while. So you got some compost out of it. You did get compost, but it was slow. The lack of water could certainly slow down that process if that black tumbler is in the full sun at Amber's place. Yes, definitely it could. Definitely it could. So black plastic heats up very quickly in sun. There's something up against the side of that black plastic inside like media compost compost with living organisms in it. All the living organisms uh, will die when temperatures get 140 degrees, and it only takes a half an hour of that black plastic in the full sun for that to happen. Number one would be move it to the shade or paint it white. I'd still move it to the shade. Yeah, at least afternoon shade. Uh, Yes, at least afternoon shade. The best compost I ever was participated in was when I taught at a place called the Skill Center, which is an adult vocational school in the Sac City School District. And we had were on the old fairgrounds, Sacramento State Fairgrounds on Stockton Boulevard. And there was a uh, brick wall from a building near our, our classroom and a at the base of it was a concrete pad. So we piled up all of the, the the students in that class maintained the landscape. So we we chipped, we did chip, made things into smaller pieces and piled the stuff in the corner. And every day or every two days, the students would go outside and I'd have them shovel the, the pile from one location on the concrete to another location on the concrete. And we did that every day or two days, and we had compost in two weeks. You make a very good point there about the smaller the pieces are that are added to the bin, in this case, the quicker you're going to get compost. I guess we should explain exactly how does it become compost? What's going on inside there? Well, microorganisms are thriving and consuming what they like, which is the uh, brown stuff and the green stuff that's in the compost. Is this referred to as mycorrhizal activity? Not really. No, no, that's because it's not bringing good stuff to a living plant. It's just uh, you might see stuff that looks like uh, fungus growing throughout it. But there is a whole there's bacteria and fungus and uh, all kinds of other microorganisms working on the on, on it at once. And the reason the oxygen is so important is that they do breathe and they do give off as humans do air that's not as good for them as what they're breathing. And if you don't replenish the good air, then they suffocate and die. Right. So smaller pieces and plenty of water. Amber, you may want to try sticking a hose in it, watering and making sure water is coming out of the holes at the bottom. Well, you want wrung out sponge. Right. 
Not because you can drown these microorganisms as well. Yeah. But still, for a composting bin, a tumbling bin that is going through a 100 to 110 degree day. Yeah. You're going to need to cool it down. Yes, you do. And that's where uh, the water can come in. As long as you've got good drainage in it, there shouldn't be a problem. Mm-hmm. And, and you're churning it frequently. Uh, with worm bins, it's much the same way. Uh, we talked recently with Susan Mucky, who's a master gardener in Sacramento County. She's in charge of the worm bins and composting. And she knows what, what what that's all about. And the best way to feed the worms in a worm bin is to grind up the food, maybe dedicate a blender or a food processor. Don't use the good one. Uh, for your uh, kitchen leftovers and get it as small or as liquid as possible and then put it in there. And the same would be true in a tumbling bin as well. Mm-hmm. Yes. Smaller is better. As long as it stays moist and it doesn't get too hot. And it gets oxygen. Yeah. Yeah. You yeah. Be since, good. since you're local, uh, Amber, they do have open days at the uh, Fair Oaks Horticulture Center, which is where the Master Gardeners display uh, both their worm composting and their other composting. And so it might be a good place to go and check things out. Like on the first Saturday of August, August 6th for 2022, uh, Harvest Day is at the Fair Oaks Horticulture Center in Fair Oaks Park. It's a free event. There's free parking. And the Fair Oaks Horticulture Center is just a wonderful demonstration garden run by the Sacramento County Master Gardeners. There's perennial plants. There's annuals. There's vegetables. There's an orchard. There's a vineyard. There's an herb garden, drought-tolerant garden. Landscape plants, irrigation demonstrations, all grapes, all kinds of things. A pond, even. Yes. If you're thinking of putting in a pond, you can go see theirs. And, of course, the composting area where they have compost bins and worm bins and different styles, different shapes, and you can quiz uh, the uh, composters up there for all your worth. Harvest Day, Saturday, August 6th at the Fair Oaks Horticulture Center. There'll be a link to it in today's show notes in Fair Oaks Park in Sacramento County. So if you're uh, in Northern California, you just might want to do that. And it's always a nice day in the first Saturday of August. (laughs) Yeah. But there's plenty of shade there. And there's usually food trucks and water and that kind of thing. And speakers, too. Speakers as well. I got to tell you, it is my favorite garden event because anybody who knows anything about gardening is there uh, because there's all sorts of vendors and speakers and uh, display tables or mm-hmm. nursery people and yeah yeah and it's great I like it because if somebody comes up to me and asks a question I go you see that guy in the floppy hat he knows more than I do go ask him yes but and usually they do mm-hmm. <laughs> it good, works yes it works all right all right so that again that's a Saturday August 6th harvest day at the Fair Oaks Horticulture Center uh, you'll probably be there Probably. Me too. All right. Debbie Flower, thanks so much. Yeah, you're welcome. Garden Basics with Farmer Fred comes out every Tuesday and Friday, and it's brought to you by Smart Pots and Dave Wilson Nursery. Garden Basics, it's available wherever podcasts are handed out. For more information about the podcast, visit our website, gardenbasics.net. And that's where you can find out about the free Garden Basics newsletter, Beyond the Basics. And thank you so much for listening.